Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I need to do everything I can to make sure that we're living in that bond of peace together with one another. That's my obligation. That's my responsibility. Whether they go to my church or belong to my denomination or whatever the case, that doesn't matter. There's the unity of the Spirit that exists there, and we are called to maintain it. How do we do it? We do it through humility, meekness, long-suffering, tolerance, and love. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, in a message titled, Unity of the Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I think sometimes there's some truth to what they're saying because they look on at the church and they look on at Christians and they find that the same kinds of petty divisions and conflicts and things, they they exist among Christians just, just like they do outside the church. And that should not be the case. And so we are, the apostle then goes on to say, we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's a few things here that we need to consider. First of all, we are to endeavor. This is a strong word. It means that we are to be eager. We are to spare no effort. We are to make haste. The idea is that we take the initiative and we do all that we can. So you see, we are called, notice, we're called not to create unity. This is the mistake that some people have made. They've, they've put unity as the number one thing. And they've said, we've got to be unified as Christians. You know, that's the, the witness. You know, I'm saying something similar, but they take it to a different level and, and they take it beyond what's actually the case. And they would go so far as to say, we have to be unified at all costs. So we throw out the truth for the sake of, un- of, of unity. Because the truth sometimes tends to divide, so forget the truth. Let's just have unity. We're going to have unity to advance the kingdom of God. We don't really believe in the king, but we're going to try to advance his kingdom. No, you can't do that. And we're not at all suggesting that or talking about anything like that. We're not called to create a unity. There already is naturally a unity. There's a unity that exists because we are all children of the same father and we are all indwelt by the same spirit. So we're not talking about creating a unity, something that's false and man-made. We're talking about realizing that there already exists a unity. We are called to do our best to maintain that. We are to put forth every effort to maintain the unity. So in other words, when I meet people who are truly Christians, regardless of their denominational affiliation, I need to do everything I can to make sure that we're we're living in that bond of peace together with one another. That's my obligation. That's my responsibility. Whether they go to my church or belong to my denomination or whatever the case, that doesn't matter. There's the unity of the spirit that exists there, 
and we are called to maintain it. How do we do it? We do it through humility, meekness, long-suffering, tolerance, and love. That's how we maintain the unity of the Spirit. So instead of focusing on the things that we disagree about, we focus on the things that we agree on, those essential things, those, those things that are the most, when I say essential, I'm talking about the most important things. There are things regarding the Christian faith that are of vital importance. They're of essential importance. Uh, they're so important that to set them aside, you wouldn't really be a Christian. You can't be a Christian and not believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. You can't be a Christian and not believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world and rose from the dead. So those are essential things. But when you meet a person who believes those things and yet differs with you on other minor things like the method of how you baptize people or what your view on the scenario for the last days is or just exactly uh, what the mechanism uh, for salvation might be things like predestination, election, free will, these kinds of things that, that are so often the things that Christians war over. Those are the things that we have to be able to just say, you know what, that doesn't matter at this point. I have to let those minor things go and focus on the primary thing. This person believes in Jesus. This person is a child of my Father God, and this person is indwelt by the same spirit that I'm indwelt with, so we are already one. And I've got to do my best to maintain that, so I have to just, some of these things I just have to overlook, uh, realize that, you know, we're never going to agree on this, but it doesn't matter if we agree on it. We don't have to agree on it because it's not an essential. Now, that's where Paul that's kind of the, the foundation of everything he's saying. He reminds us of that when he comes to verses four through six, where he says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So since that's the case, this is really what Paul's saying, since that's the case, the, the natural thing that should proceed from that would be Love for one another and unity resulting from that love. It's the natural flow. So if we are a people who tend to be divisive, or divisive is the proper way to say it, I guess. But if we tend to be those kinds of people, if we tend to always be looking to find fault with somebody's doctrine, well, they don't believe this and they don't believe that. Or we tend to look down on other churches or other expressions of Christianity, then we are out of sync with God himself. He's not doing that because those are his children. And he's put his spirit in them. And who are we to say? You know, I've found this more and more as I've gotten older and lived longer and experienced life more in ministry. Uh, I have met people who have told me their stories and you know, given me their testimonies. And it's, you know, there's no question in my mind that the person's a believer. 
and not just a believer, but a, a true lover of God and a follower of Christ and a servant of his. And, you know, I've had occasions where people have told me their, their testimony and, you know, I just think, wow. You know, a few years ago, I would have said, no way, you can't be saved. I won't allow for that. It doesn't fit into my theology of how God works. But I've had to learn over the years that God really doesn't consult me about how he's going to work in people's lives. And he's always blowing my mind with the things that he does that just didn't fit into the little box that I had put him in. You know, we talk about that sometimes, putting God in a box. There are a lot of people that have God in a box. They've got God in this little box, and he can only do these few things. He can only, you know, these are the parameters right here. Now, I agree that God works within the parameters of his word, but sometimes the, the problem is not the parameters of his word. The problem is we start interpreting the word so narrowly that, again, we end up at the same place. God can hardly do anything because it doesn't really fit with our theology. So we have to be careful. There's one God. He is the father of us all. There's one spirit. We are indwelt by that one spirit. There's one body. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's only one church. And every single person on the planet who names the name of Jesus in sincerity and truth, every single person, regardless of the denomination that they belong to, that has embraced Christ as the savior of their souls, that person is part of the family. You know, speaking from a purely human standpoint, I know this for a fact, nothing pleases a father more than love among his children. Oh, when a father, when parents see their children loving one another, that's so wonderful. It's so precious. It's so right. It's so good. It's so much what you want to see. And you know what? The same is true with God. When God sees his children loving each other, it delights his heart. Nothing pleases a father more than love among his children. Few things grieve a father more than strife and division and animosity among his children. Oh, that's such a grief. And some of you know that. We know what it's like to have broken families, divided families, families that live in hostility toward one another. That's a heartbreak, isn't it? And for a parent, if you have that kind of a situation with your children, you see that, you just think, oh, Lord, have mercy. That's just so painful to see that. You hear them say negative things about their spouse. Sometimes you see jealousy or things like that, and you just think, oh, Lord, it, it's heartbreaking. Guess what? We have the ability to break the heart of God. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that you can, you can break God's heart. And surely this is heartbreaking to God when we would strike out against our brothers and sisters, when we would speak evil of them. <laughs> when we would say unkind and untrue things about them. I have to tell you, honestly, I am shocked. I am absolutely shocked at the things that some Christians will say about other Christians. I'm shocked. I'm, sometimes I read stuff, I think, wow, where did you ever get the idea that you could say stuff like that as a Christian? I mean, it's so crystal clear, you know, coming up, I'm reading this stuff on the internet, it, but man, it's like the, the hatred is seeping right through my screen. 
And I think, how did, how did we ever get to a place where we thought that we could talk about people like this, especially people who are God's people? But so often we find these kinds of things, rants on the internet against some of God's servants. Sometimes I'll have somebody come up to me and they'll start you know, going off on somebody that they perceive to be a false prophet. And you just, you know, their veins are all popping out of their neck and they're so angry. And, and, you know, you just think, wow, this is sad. This is really, really, this is pathetic. That we as Christians, that we would think that we have a right to, to talk about our brothers and sisters like that. You know, Paul rebuked the Roman church for gossip and things like that and judging one another. And at one point he asked this question. He said, who are you to judge another man's servant? Before his own master, he stands or falls. And God is surely able to make him stand. Who are we to think that we can stand in judgment of, God, of another man's servant? Who's the other man? God is the other man. God, I don't like the way your child is acting. I don't like what I hear your child saying. Some people feel that they've been called to rebuke, to reprimand. They've been given a discernment ministry. They know all of the truth, and nobody knows the truth quite like they do. And they're going to correct everybody. I have no time for that. It's pathetic. That's not at all in sync with what Paul is talking about here. It's so opposite of Paul's exhortation here for us to walk worthy of the calling. No, we're to walk in lowliness, in meekness, in patience, in tolerance, in love toward one another. And if we don't agree, we need to learn to just say, you know what? Okay, I, I see it differently than you do. But I'm not going to think myself better. And, and you know, I, I hold strong convictions about certain things. And not everybody that I listen to as far as somebody who would give me input in teaching or people that I appreciate in ministry hold to the same convictions that I do about certain things. But, you know, because those things are non-essential, because they're, they're not the core issues, I, I don't let that bother me. I, I want to hear them on the core issues. Boy, what they have to say on the core issues are vital to me. They strengthen me. They bless me. They build me up. No, they, we don't hold the same exact views on maybe the um, days of creation or something like that. We don't hold the exact same views on eschatology, which are the study of the end times. We might not even hold the same view on... Uh, the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we do hold the same view on God and Christ and salvation. And that's the important thing. Those are the vital things. And so those are the things that we really have to rally around. Now, I've had the experience over many years. And, you know, this is, this is something that I had, to, I had to learn, actually. I had to grow into this because I... At, you know, years ago, I, I was kind of in a debate with a person a while back, and they were trying to prove their point that I'm this terrible person because I'm all compromised now. And they, they looked at me, they said, you've changed. You've changed. You're not like you used to be. And I said, you know, thank God I've changed. Yes, I have. I've grown up. 
I became mature. And I realized that we don't need to fight with other Christians about every little thing. When I was younger, I'd fight with anybody about anything. <laughs> you didn't agree with me on this doctrine? Well, I wasn't going to let that sit. We were going to have to fight that one out. But you know, you grow, you mature, you realize, no, this isn't right. And over many years, God's taken me to many different places and introduced me to all different kinds of people from different denominational backgrounds and things. And I find myself associating with and, and working alongside of people from all different parts of the church, Anglicans and Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Pentecostals and Catholics. And, and, and you know, I, I meet these people and it's like, wow, I, I, don't even, I, don't, I don't even know their, you know, you just meet them as a Christian. You don't know their background and then you get to know them a little better and it, you're, you're obviously connected to them spiritually. You've got that spiritual uh, bond there. And then you find out what their, what their background is, denominationally maybe. And, you, and then you're like, wow, okay, yeah. Well, I know this person's really a believer. That's, that's obvious. So the Lord has allowed me to have those kinds of experiences. But I, I know, frankly, I know many people today in ministry, they've, they've, they've kind of just been in, in their, this one little part of the body of Christ, and they're sort of suspicious about everybody who's outside of it. And because they, the, that group out there, you know, no, they don't believe this like we do in that, then, you know, there, there's got to be something wrong. We need to stay away. We... Uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, I know we're related, but, you know, I, we, we don't want to talk about that. I'll love them from a distance. Well, no, that's not the way it works. We need to love, truly. And so, endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So God has given me those kinds of experiences. And like I said earlier, I've met people and I've, I've heard their stories and I've just been astounded at God's grace and how creative he is and how he works in ways that you, you know, maybe because of your own particular theological view, you wouldn't think that he could work that way, but he does. And again, let me emphasize for anybody who might be in some way, shape, or form misunderstanding me, I am talking about the non-essentials. I'm talking about the non-essentials. I already described what an evangelical is. That's what I am. That's what we are. <laughs> people who believe the Bible, people who believe in Christ, his death, his resurrection, his atoning death, the necessity of the new birth, those things. We, th those are the essential things. I'm talking about the other things that so often are the things that divide us. So God help us God help us not to grieve our Father or stumble others through causing and spreading division. Rather, let's give every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, first right here among us. One final thing. So, so we want to we wanna exercise ourselves here, right here, seeking to maintain the unity of the Spirit among ourselves, but then toward the larger body of Christ. You know, one of the greatest ways in the world to have God connect your heart with his, his larger 
family is to pray for other Christians of other denominations. Pray for the Christians in our community. Pray for the other churches in our community. Pray for the other pastors in our community. We should pray for one another. And we need to support one another. When we hear of God doing something good in a church that's not part of our group, we should rejoice in that. We should be thankful for that. And there are times when we should all get together to, to reach out and, and you know, put, put our efforts together to get the gospel out to the community. Those are good things. They're right things. We need to do those things. But it really, uh, praying for people, it can start there. And it can be so sweet. So in closing, let's be ecumenical in the best sense of the word. Having concern about the whole body of Christ and recognizing that God's people are everywhere under all different kinds of denominational banners. But then let's be evangelical in the truest sense of the word. We are inflexible when it comes to those essential doctrines. We stand solidly on those. They are the non-negotiables. So let's not lose sight of that. And when you meet another Christian from another denomination, another background, if they're really a Christian, you embrace them. A few years ago, I was up in LA and um, I might've told this story before, but uh, we, we were doing this outreach in Watts. And so there, there's a guy there who was the, I think he was a fire chief or something like that. So we're standing there and we, we got into this conversation and it was just a great conversation. We're talking about the Lord and you know, he's kind of just sharing his story with me and I'm telling him my story. And we, we were just having this great time of fellowship. And it's somehow in the course of the conversation, he told me about the church that he went to. And when he told me about the church that he went to, I, honestly, I just, in my own heart, I said, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not <laughs> the critical person that I used to be. Because... I would have never even thought that anybody who went to that church could even be saved in time past. But here I'm talking to a person who I'm, I'm absolutely you know, convinced this, this person is a true believer. We're having great fellowship. But then he tells me that's the church he goes to. But I was thankful that God had done such a work in my heart that I, could, I didn't bat an eye when he told me. It didn't even faze me. I just thought, oh, God, you are amazing. You work sometimes in the strangest places but you're still working. And in that, we rejoice. Let's be ecumenical in the best sense of the word. Let's be evangelical in the truest sense of the word. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says of himself that he is gentle and lowly in heart. 
And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, or you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.